This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Sort of break it, break it down like good. You're looking at the two-headed nerd cup with Joe and Matt. Say it again. God. We could do this crap in our sleep. Welcome to the 19th episode of THN, where we're talking comics for the week of Wednesday, May 25th. It's a beautiful Saturday morning, and the birthday of Perry Como, Mark Mothersbaugh, Reggie Jackson, George Strait, Chow Young Fat, Tina Fey, and Tina Fey. What wow. a, not a bad May 28th, It's an embarrassment right? of riches. Uh, my name is Matt Baum. When I'm not mowing my lawn in my yellow Devo jumpsuit and energy dome, I write about and appraise <laughs> comics for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska, and when I'm not telling everyone... That we are glad Matt doesn't work at Legend anymore because he was on drugs, selling them to children, and I had to fire him for it. And it's going to make hosting a podcast together a little awkward. Kids love drugs. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I am the artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. This week you'll hear reviews of Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, number six, and I am reviewing Green Arrow, number <laughs> 12. <laughs> I don't know why I can't make my brain do this today. What is today. happening? We'll review 10 comics at speeds a god never intended man to achieve and introduce our final new segment, Take a Look in a Book, where we <laughs> review a trade paperback or graphic novel, thereby proving our attention spans haven't been destroyed by all those whippets we did back in college. But before we get to all of that rubbish, let's elbow Dirk Nowitzki in the throat, deliver a two-handed Captain Kirk smash to LeBron James, and talk about this week's Big news. Those are basketball players, by the way, Joe. Thank you. Get out your legal degrees, folks. The never-ending battle between the Siegel and Schuster families and Warner Brothers for the creative rights to Superman hit the news again when Variety reported that U.S. Magistrate Judge Ralph Zarefsky ruled Wednesday that the documents stolen from the office of attorney Mark Toberoff and delivered anonymously to Warner Brothers in December of 2008 were not protected by attorney-client privilege. This is riveting radio. Uh, tell me about it. However, he postponed a final ruling until Toberoff and his attorneys can seek a decision from U.S. District Judge Otis Wright. <laughs> Ralph and Otis. <laughs> yes. Nobody names their kids Ralph and Otis anymore. <laughs> now, at the time of the theft, a judge ruled that the documents were privileged and ordered the studio to turn them over to a court officer within 24 hours. However, an attached seven-page cover letter called the Superman Mark Toberoff timeline. Which sounds like a fifth-week event. <laughs> and this became the basis for Warner Brothers' 2010 lawsuit against the attorney. The complaint alleges that Toberoff orchestrated a web of collusive arguments, or pardon me, agreements, agreements yes, with the Siegel and Schuster heirs, leading them to reject mutually beneficial longtime deals with DC Comics and to seek to recapture the Superman copyright. In addition, the studio claims Toborov schemed to secure for himself quote, a majority and controlling financial stake in the Superman rights. This is some Pelican Brief stuff I'll right here, man. I'll tell you John Grisham couldn't do better than this. Matt, this is making my head hurt. Is this legalese for no more Superman or what? Uh, no. Ultimately, Warner Brothers is going to pay. And they're going to pay through the nose for this because they have to keep Superman. But this is some, like, conspiracy-level stuff. This is ridiculous. This is the Warner Brothers countersuit. They're going after the lawyer saying... We we had the nice and sweet Siegel and Schuster family eating out of our hands before evil lawyer guy came <laughs> along asking for what's rightfully theirs. You know, I mean, the point of it is they need to pay these people. 
They, oh no, and I agree. They need to pay him, and this countersuit is kind of a joke, and I don't think it's ultimately going to go anywhere because the cons- the level of conspiracy in here is a badly written John Grisham book. There's no way that Warner Brother lets Superman go, and uh, and we get Super Dude. Yes, yeah, Super Dude coming soon from DC Comics. <laughs> da, 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 super Dude. <laughs> Speaking of Superman, this week DC announced co-publisher Jim Lee and chief creative officer Jeff Johns would be making a major announcement concerning the future of the DCU and especially Superman at the Hero Complex Film Fest in LA on June 11th. Joe, prediction. Man, I don't know. Uh, especially Superman. Those are interesting yeah. phrasing. Maybe it's <laughs> yeah. DC is proud to announce we have lost the rights <laughs> to Superman. Now, years ago, there was a, a couple years ago, there was a rumor going around that Jeff Johns and Jim Lee were going to take over the Justice League book. I still think that's what's going on. Yeah, that was It was around be. the DC's 75th birthday anniversary, whatever, and the rumor was a Lee Johns JLA. That's my guess. I'm guessing it's the Lee Johns JLA, Superman leading the team. Could Once be. again, the circle <laughs> the circle completes itself as the A-listers come back to the JLA because the B-listers can't sell the book. It's true. That's that's what brought the JLA back in the mid-90s with Grant Morrison. The, it saved us all from the Blue Devil Nuclo. <laughs> uh, that's impressive. Is it Nuclon? I think it's Nuclon. I think it was Nuclon. Yeah. With the Mohawk. I believe so. Man. <laughs> well, see, now he's Adam Smasher and people don't remember that he used to have a gigantic red Mohawk. That's right. Hmm. Jeff Johns saved us from that, too. In Hollywood news, Michael Clark Duncan was the Thursday guest on G4's Attack of the Show, where he premiered the first clip of Green Lantern featuring Duncan as the voice of Kilowog. Now, this wasn't just a trailer. This was like three minutes of sustained footage. This is like we go on the talk show and, hey, let's take a look. Here's a scene from the movie that features my guy. So, Matt, was this the uh, hippo-faced ring slinger you were hoping for? He looks pretty good. I, I like that he's he's big, hunky Kilowog. I, he said Poozer. He did say Poozer. I wish he looked a little more hippopotamus. <laughs> that's, but, I mean, that's a, that's a very minor complaint. He sounded good. I think Michael Clark Duncan is a really good choice for the voice. Again, we see Hal, like, shooting stuff out of his ring, and it looks really cool. Right. He's I, not just making boxing gloves and laser beams. No. He's doing he's using the ring to actually make complex shapes and it's looking kind of fun. And they're establishing Kilowog as a badass, you know, yeah. which they need Drill to do. Drill instructor. Yeah. I, I it looked like a lot of fun to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little me. more excited. Every 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 little My nipples release. get a little harder. Oh, you had <laughs> to go little. there. You had to take it there. Oh, they're always with the nipples this one. Once again, Latino review <laughs> As a juicy bit of gossip. I don't know what the deal is, but Latino Review is breaking these stories, and they're right. They're more often than not accurate. It's bizarre. But this time, it's about another villain in the upcoming Avengers movie. Joe, who's big, purple, wears yellow gloves, and has a crush on a chick with a skull face. (gasps) It can only be Thanos. Thanos. Suddenly, the image of the Infinity Gauntlet that we saw from the San Diego Comic-Con last year that we thought was going to be in Thor... Makes sense. I know. If this is true. I don't know where they come by their information. I don't know how they... Yeah, like, for a while there was supposed to be scrolls, and and then it became clear at the end of Thor, spoilers, that Loki is involved. Yeah. So I don't know how they could possibly squeeze all this in yeah. to an Avengers movie. They did just find a Batman and Robin when they had, like, 15 bad guys in that. We all <laughs> saying, loved that. If you if it's true, if Thanos is the villain, no scrolls, dudes. That's too much. Yeah, I mean, unless it's just a brief 
you know, like the Skrulls were planning on invading Earth, but Maybe. Thanos snaps his fingers and ends that because he's got bigger plans for the Cosmic Cube or whatever. You yeah, know? yeah, I don't know. You could do something like that. That would be fun. I'm really intrigued, though, because that also elevates the movie to a level of, like... Serious. It gives like a cosmic superhero scope. Yeah, serious nerditude that, here. Like we're entering very yeah. nerdy cosmic water. With the exception of Thor, all the other Marvel movies have been relatively grounded. But Thor took it straight there. Didn't mess around. It's we true. were in space. There was a rainbow bridge. I mean, like <laughs> full on nerdiness. And they did, you know, make it a little bit more super sciency as opposed to magic. But it was basically high comic book comic bookery. <laughs> That's the big news this week. If you want to discuss these stories or one that we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page, where Joe and I have given up our hopes of working as bloggers a la Perez Hilton, discussing the hot dish on all of Hollywood's hottest Latinos and Latinas. <laughs> and instead, we're just writing about comics as usual. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time to talk about some new comics that came out this week. Matt, lay it on me. This week, I jumped back into the world of Green Arrow with mm. issue number 12. Now, for the record, Green Arrow, my third favorite DC character. I would say Swamp Thing, Batman, Green Arrow, in that order. Okay. Uh, Dick Grayson's number four. Anyway, uh, this is written by J.T. Kroll, art by <laughs> Di- Diogenes? 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 Di- Let's go Diogenes. Ne- Nevis. Nevs. Uh, man, that guy or girl or whoever it is is going to punch us in the face. If they it's going to punch you in the face. And inks by Vincente Cifuentes. My favorite name to say out loud. Basically, since the Green Arrow relaunch last year, Ollie's been dealing with the mysterious star-shaped forest that appeared in downtown Star City. Coincidence? I don't know. Green Arrow has been living in and protecting the forest along with the help of Galahad, who is either a knight of the round table or a crazy homeless person that thinks he's a knight of the round table. As it turns out, he was just a crazy homeless dude, but Green Arrow gives him permission to continue acting the part of Galahad. (laughs) Real important character development stuff It's okay if you be crazy. This issue is basically the events of Brightest Day 24 from Ollie's perspective with a very, very small amount of character development of both the Galahad character, which I really don't care about, no, and Ollie. I did not need this. I don't think anybody needed this. Now, I realize it's not Green Arrow 12's fault for coming out more than a month after the end of Brightest Day. Has DC, it been that long? I believe so. It's been DC, weeks, for sure. Several weeks. Weeks in comic book time, though? That's light years, Might as well, It's like five years. Yeah, tell me about it. And it's not its fault. I'm pretty sure Green Arrow has come out on time. DC shoveled some things around with Brightest Day so it would come out alongside the conclusion of the JLA. Justice League Generation Lost. Justice League Generation Lost. Thank you. There's nothing here. This is complete rehash of what happened in the end of Brightest Day. Yeah. It's Ollie running around yelling at the forest to let the people in who are suffering on the outside of Star City. The forest changing its rules constantly to allow J.T. Kroll to continue this plot that really has taken us nowhere with this character. It won't let the people in that are being, like, attacked, but it will let in Etrick and the Demon. Yeah. And uh, members of the Justice Society. Sure. <laughs> and it allows Ollie to stay because he was protecting the forest. The forest who is now strangling the city with sentient trees. And because he protected it, allowed him and Galahad to stay. Why Galahad was allowed, I don't know. <laughs> Why all the bad guys were allowed in to try and kill Ollie, I don't know. They never no. really spelled that out. I don't know. Nothing Ollie did in this forest really served to protect it, as we see the forest grow into a giant whale on something <laughs> if it needs to. 
<laughs> we found out the forest, like I said, was the green the bright, in the pages of Brightest Day. It, it's really, really stupid if the green chose Green Arrow to protect it because his name is Green Arrow. That's not why he chose him. It's really – give me another reason. I'd love to hear another reason. I think Because it been, Green Arrow is the protector of Star City. I got that. But what would have been way more interesting is if all the plant characters in the DCU were mysteriously drawn to the forest, like the Floronic Man and Poison Ivy and Solomon Grundy all came crawling out of the woodwork, like not knowing why they were supposed to go there, sort of like Close Encounters of the Third kind where everybody went to devil's you know butte or whatever it was in arizona and they didn't know that movie oh shame on you regardless it would have been so much cooler to see green arrow dealing with that why why is poison ivy here why is she insane and drawn to protect this forest why is solomon grundy in my city that would have been much more interesting because as it turns out he does not appear to be connected to this at all other than he happened to live in the city. Well, if you had written a letter to DC Comics and pitched this a year ago, <laughs> you could have saved us from this. It's, it's, there was just nothing here. And ultimately, after these 12 issues, we've developed nothing for this character. He's right back where he started from. We see him walking in the mean streets of Star City, and he says something real quippy like, the city's all the jungle I need. The city like, is my forest, he says, uh, is the last line of the This book. Robin Hood crap that J.T. Kroll was trying to force onto the character, and then this Galahad garbage that they shoehorned <laughs> in as well. I just, there's nothing here. Ultimately, this is totally throwaway. This is DC treading water, waiting for the next whatever Green Arrow relaunch that's going to come, and the worst part is, it's not over. We get more Green Arrow. Well, he's out of the forest now, though. Great. I'm, I'm just saying. For three, for two or three issues until he gets flung into either a, another Flashpoint. Yes, actually. Okay, well, there Queen you go. Queen Industries. There you go. Until he gets sucked into the It's Queen written Indus- by Pornsack, remember? <laughs> That's right. Pornsack until he gets sucked into that and then relaunched again. Honestly, th- like I said, it's one of my favorite characters. I wish they'd do something with him. Green Arrow is at his best fighting crime. In the city. That's yeah. what he does best. Social relevance I don't uh, need... a, is a theme of Green Arrow. It is all lost yeah. in this series. I don't need the mad mayor banishing him to the mysterious forest. There was I a weird, need... like, Doctor Doom-esque I, yeah, kind of female Who character we thought might be his mom running Queen Industries. The company, right? She wore a full mask for some and reason. she sent an army of snake eyes looking robots after him. It's just like, it got... So lost. I, if they relaunch this, I want Judd Winnick writing it. I'm saying it right now. I want Judd Winnick writing Green Arrow again because it's the last time it was good. Uh, I give this, this a solid leave it. Yeah. The, JT Kroll does things that I enjoy, like Teen Titans isn't bad. Um, however, everything he's touched with the Green Arrow family, starting with oh, the rise of Arsenal. Oh, God. Easily the worst thing I've read in years. Uh, it, it's just... Been it's done a disservice to the character. Now I don't know if it's all JT Kroll or if there's some editorial. You gotta wonder if they've got him treading water. It's just not. It's been so far from what Green Arrow should be. I confess that I stopped reading this series after issue four. I hardly, I hardly ever quit reading. I read everything that comes out, and for something to get so apathetic to, that I stop. This is DC apologist Joe Patrick yeah, I talking just, here. After the fourth issue, I was like, well, there's no reason for me to read this comic. And I, I read issue 12, and I could see that nothing much had changed. And, yeah, this past year has been kind of a wasted opportunity. 
I give it a leave it as well. So a double leave it for Green Arrow number 12. I never... Double, DC, I'm sorry. The hater. Ugh. Hater Joe Patrick. Ugh. I should say the art, not bad at all. No. Nevs is doing good work, and I don't want to take anything away from him. I wouldn't mind it's him decent. drawing this book, just not the direction I want to go in. Yeah. Joe, what'd you read this week? Uh, I read Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine number six. This is from Marvel Comics. You're written. on your own here, buddy. I'm behind on this one. This is one, it was so late oh, that man. I decided I would wait for the trade. It's, a, it. t- it's a one-headed nerd review. <laughs> Uh, this is written by Jason Aaron with art by Adam Kubert. Digital Inks by Mark Roslin and colors by Justin Ponzer. Peter and Logan's insane time travel adventure finally comes to an end in this issue as Spidey has to talk Wolver Phoenix out of destroying the Earth. The duo has to contend with the terrifying combined might of Mojo, the Orb, and Czar and Baby Big Murder. <laughs> It's ridiculous. <laughs> I want to get baby Big Murder tattooed on my knuckle. <laughs> uh, and the, that synopsis is just like uh, the past five issues of this book have been so completely off the wall bananas that I've just loved every page of it. The, the, the series has been so crazy. Like you've had Dr. Doom taking over Ego the Living Planet. So you've got a metal faced Doom the Living Planet showing up <laughs> at issue t- issue two or three, whichever one was. Uh, the Phoenix Gun, like such huge crazy ideas and all this weird time hopping insanity. I was not expecting this to be like a quiet, introspective story to wrap up the series. Spider-Man and Wolverine uh, end up trapped in the Old West. Of and, course they do. Uh, well, and they're there for years. And they have to build new lives for themselves because they're stuck. Because their magic rocks run out of time travel juice. <laughs> and I wish that I was making that up, uh, but it's basically the truth. Uh, Spidey becomes an apothecary and a part-time lawman, complete with web-firing six-shooters. <laughs> He's an inventor. That, come on. I can't stop laughing. I know. Uh, and Wolverine becomes chief of a nearby uh, tribe of Native Americans. And, you know, that's so as the years go by, the two heroes that are normally at odds, they bond over this experience and become closer than brothers. And it's really touching. And, and so I just wasn't prepared for it. And so when their new lives come crumbling down and the world is eventually righted, as we all knew it had to be, there's a real sense of loss because Aaron does such a great job just in those few pages, setting up, you know, this these lives that they've been living and and showing the closeness that they have achieved at having gone through this crazy adventure. I'm tearing up over here. Come on. I know. Uh, the Time Variance Authority shows up, which is a crazy idea that I have not seen since the 90s. Uh, they're like the time travel cops. Weren't they in Dan Slott's She-Hulk? Ooh, maybe you're I'm right. I'm pretty sure they popped up in there. Yeah, that sounds right. Kudos to Aaron, though, for digging up that idea. Amazing art by Adam Kubert. I've been a huge fan of his since his original run on Wolverine in the 90s. Jason Aaron has a great voice for Spider-Man. He's yeah. very good at he it. He really does. Uh, he's funny, and he's just uh, he's well-suited for writing that character, and I'd like to see more from Aaron. This has been an amazing series. It's completely fun and unexpectedly heartwarming, and it's always kind of hazy whether or not the Astonishing books are in continuity, but there is no reason that this title can't fit in seamlessly, especially since it's time travel. Sure. And it seems that Aaron is setting up for a future storyline in his own Wolverine book at the end. This one also lends itself very well to trade reading because it Absolutely. was really, really late. Yeah, there was some lateness issues. So when this trade comes out, 
I give this book a strong buy it. Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine was a wonderful ride. Yeah, a I great can't, six issues. Like I said, I, I decided to wait for the trade, so I can't speak to it, but I read the first issue, really enjoyed it. I'm excited to read the trade. It sounds like pretty wild stuff. It's, it's off the wall. I loved it. Here comes the Dragon Force, and you know what that means. It means that we've run out of obligatory Spaceballs references. <laughs> so, fast, fast, speed, super fast, ludicrous speed, go! Go! <laughs> Venom number three. Ah, uh, Tom Fowler interrupts my Tony Moore art, and uh, some of it was good. Some of it was really bad, and the story has gotten really confusing. This is a really rough start for this book. I'm giving it a skim it. Whoa. Action Comics 901. Hey, remember Paul Cornell's great run of Action Comics? It's over. <laughs> Paul Cornell's still writing it. However. It's been interrupted for doomsday time. Uh, this is terrible. Yeah. Leave it. Wow. Leave it twice for DC. Listen to you. Godzilla, Kingdom of Monsters number three. It was so good. It was I laughed so, good. so many times during the, this the issue. The evil Batra twins. They introduced the good Mothra twins. They're making fun of Lady Gaga. I love this book. Buy it, buy it, buy it. <laughs> Strange Adventures, number one. Neat little Vertigo anthology. Uh, a little hit and miss like all anthologies are, but overall really good. A great little story by Azarello and Rizzo setting up their series Spaceman. Yeah. I liked it. Buy it. Green Lantern 66. Whew. The War of the Green Lanterns heats up in what is e- easily the best of the three Green Lantern books. Doug Mankey is just insane here, doing top-notch work by Kirby Genesis Zero. Interesting little one-shot primer to the upcoming series by Kurt Busiek. I don't know how sold I am on these off-the-wall Kirby concepts that never really went anywhere. <laughs> However, it's a dollar. Check it out. Buy it. Green Lantern Corps 60. This is the third best Green Lantern book on the stands. I'm really not into Tyler Kirkham's art, and I hate the design on Jon Stewart wearing the purple urban camouflage <laughs> with, like, the gun staff thing. Stupid. That said, there is a huge, something really big happens in this book. It's true. And I was upset. Buy it. <laughs> Tattered Man one shot <laughs> from Image Comics. Uh, Palmiani and Gray normally get an automatic pass for me, but this book was awful. I hated it. I found it derivative, gratuitous, and a terrible example, like a throwback to the worst of the 90s independent. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, leave it. Joe Patrick, hater edition. I really didn't like it. It upset me. Wow. Yeah. Green Lantern, Emerald Warriors number 10. The second best. You did really bad reading comics this week. (laughs) The second best Green Lantern story. I just thought all three came out. I should talk about all three of them. Uh This uh, picks up on what happened in the end of Green Lantern Corps. I'm really enjoying this book more and more. I'm, they're feeling out Fernando Passerian. Yeah. Passerian? I, at first, I didn't think he was a good fit for this book, he's but he grows on He me. developed a solid art style. I'm digging on this one. Bye. Agreed. Dokken, Dark Wolverine, 9.1. You know what? One of the successful Marvel .1 issues. Really? Not many yeah, to talk about. It wasn't an origin story, but it was a jumping on point. It set him up for the next storyline. The debut of Rob Williams as the writer. Dokken is a guilty pleasure, and it didn't seem to lose any beats. If you are into Dokken, I guess buy it. <laughs> Snicked! That is your ludicrous speed round! <laughs> Running out of comic onomatopoeia here, folks. Alright, it's time to take a look at our comic picks for next week. Matt. What should nerds be buying next Wednesday? I'm going with S.H.I.E.L.D. number one by Jonathan Hickman with art from Dustin Weaver. They left us hanging 
on a crazy, crazy plot thread. Yeah. And I have got to see where this goes next. This is Marvel's most interesting, inventive book on the stands. I love it. Joe Patrick, what are you excited for? Uh, the flood of uh, Flashpoint tie-ins starts to roll out oh boy. next week. Oh, boy. And uh, my pick of the litter is Flashpoint Secret 7, number one by Peter Milligan, with art by George Perez. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be bad. You know what? It's going to be bizarre <laughs> it's because be it's weird. got Shade the Changing Man in it. Uh, but art by George Perez, I figure it's a can't miss. I'm looking forward to it. Time for the fourth and final news segment until such time as I can figure out a format for the superhero deathmatch segment I'm working on. Every fourth week of the month, Joe and I will be reviewing an entire trade paperback or graphic novel. And this month, we're talking about Atomic Robo Volume 1 in a segment we're calling... Take a look. It's in a book. Joe, tell us about Atomic Robo. Go. <laughs> All right, Atomic Robo, Volume 1. Atomic Robo and the Fighting Scientists of Tesladyne. From Red 5 Comics. Red 5 Comics, written by Brian Clevenger, with art by Scott Wegener. And backup stories by Clevenger, with art by Joshua Ross, Zach Finrock, Christian Ward of Nick Spencer's Infinite Vacation. Oh. And uh, Nick Klein. So Robo is a sentient robot created by Nikola Tesla in the early 20th century. Today, though, Robo runs Tesladyne, a group of super science researchers and adventurers. Adventure scientists. Yes. And as this volume jumps around to various points in Robo's history, we see his decades-long battle with Baron Heinrich von Helsingard, evil science jerk. So, Matt. I am an old, uh, long-term uh, reader of Atomic Robo, but you had never read it before. Uh, this was my first Atomic Robo experience. Late I picked me. up a couple issues here and there. Didn't really get it, and I will say it felt very Hellboy derivative to me. It's definitely Hellboy with science instead of right. Magic. It's a BPRD checking out science stuff instead of, and that's why I like it. Now, in reading Volume One, yeah, it it's a lot of fun. It oh. makes sense. There's really good art in this. I really Scott like... Scott Wagner is an excellent artist. He and walks a very thin line between cartoony and... It's very stylized. Yeah, yeah. But it's great. It really works here. Well, and as you read future volumes, you can see him get better and better and better. I'm sure. Uh, early on, though, you he, can he started good. From the first to fifth issue, you can see yeah. definite improvement. There were some kind of wide open panels in a couple of the first issues that he starts to fill in towards the end. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. yeah, this is a lot of fun. It's not just Hellboy. It's more Captain America meets Hellboy. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like this old soul in this undying body. Well, right, because it spans from early 20th century to today. Right. And so They're those scenes of him in the past, like he World acts War I, young. World War Two. yeah. He acts like a teenager. Right. And he is this kind of smart-talking sort of John Wayne sort of robot, although I had Bill Corbett in my head doing his voice, the <laughs> voice of Crow from Mystery <laughs> Science Theater. If, you, if they make a, and I tweeted this, if they make a, a movie or animated feature, you've got to go get Bill Corbett. He's perfect for it. <laughs> you know, for me, what I like most about Atomic Robo, though the action's fun, the, the plots are, are interesting, but I love the characterization. Uh, you know, they make... Uh, the jokes are very funny. A They're, lot of really good comedy. Good timing yeah. stuff yeah. as well. There's, there's a scene in, in about midway through this volume where the president of Egypt has the guys from Tesladyne investigating a mystery at a pyramid. And the president is like concerned and he keeps saying, now look, you understand these are like of immense historical significance. <laughs> 
please, please, like our heritage. We should mention the pyramid is walking around oh, yeah, and okay. heading towards the city. The atomic robot says, Mr. President, I promise that your problem will be solved. <laughs> and in the background, the other, there's another guy that's going with a violent science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because ultimately, like all the science that they like, it comes down to shooting, shooting stuff with a Tesla gun yeah. or smashing something. So it's just stuff like that they, where they build up these characters and, and just great, great one-liners and uh, it's funny. It's not heavy at all. You can plow through an atomic robo-trade in Yeah, this is a fun, hour. self-contained universe. Good times here. I, I, I would tell everyone, if you're looking for something to read, you can't go wrong with atomic robo. If you've got a suggestion for a trade or graphic novel you'd like to hear the THN tag team, send us your suggestions to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Facebook. Next month, we'll be discussing Brian Wood's DV8 Gods and Monsters from DC, not Wildstorm Comics. Very important distinction. So if you want to read along, hop down to your local comic shop and pick up a copy now. Sort of break it it down like this. That is it for Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. So painful, but we made it. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. If you dig the sound of two adult children trembling with cautious optimism for an X-Men and Green Lantern movie that could potentially ruin their entire summer, you can subscribe to THN on iTunes, where your star ratings and reviews make us giggle like little kids, but they don't distract us from the fact that Havoc is, in fact, Cyclops' little brother and Dracula was a stupid character and a bad idea from the beginning. (laughs) And as always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com, or you can find our Twitter handles, links to our buddies' nerdy projects like Tales of the Geek Lantern Corps, a blog about music, movies, comics, video games, by our buddy Brian Lyons. You can also submit your Ask a Nerd questions. I believe Ask a Nerd will be back next week, right? Yes. Uh, or beg us for some uh, Pusher Man comic pusher suggestions. We change these names so often. This is just losing. It happens at the speed of thought, folks. <laughs> if that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, what is your prediction as to what Jim Lee and Jeff Johns will be announcing at the Hero Complex Film Festival? Bonus question. Which Superman 2 film do you prefer, the original or the Richard Donner cut? The original. The Richard Donner cut just sucks. You know, I've never seen the Richard Donner cut. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes out to our most recent iTunes reviewer, Bankster1127, whose review made us laugh our donkeys off. (laughs) Until until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) Worst show 